Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Them podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And today we have an interview with Pamela Fagan Hutchins. And it is awesome. Oh my goodness. There is so much information in this. And she really laid out in detail what she's done to turn her career around. And um, she gave us links to her tracking spreadsheet for Mm -hmm. ads. And she talked about ads. Um, Just so much information in, in great detail. So. I think it'll be really good. Yeah, uh, people need to buckle up because there is a <laughs> lot of information. And and the thing is that Pamela, it's, it's not like she had a bad career. She's right. just breathed really strong new life into the one she had. So it just and it wasn't like tweaks. Yeah, right. And it wasn't like you know I just wrote more books. That wasn't her thing. She completely changed her strategies. Yeah, strategies. Yeah, and so it was really good. Yeah. So that's coming up. Yeah. Um, what have you been doing this week? Um, I'm still, I'm working on my edits. I actually finished them today. I am reading through the book and then I will send it back to my editor because there were, there were a few sections I had to rewrite. Not, um, wasn't like I had to like drastically change things. I just had to add some stuff and I had taken some stuff out that I decided to put back in and, um, so she's, she's going to look at it again for me because, you know, me and grammar, we're not always on speaking terms. Um, but it was good. It's good. And, and just, we just finished recording an interview with Craig Martell and he was talking about lo- using a developmental editor, mm-hmm. but, but also just taking a story and really kind of continuing to chop at it until it's that great story and that's what I'm really hoping these last couple of weeks have been uh for me time will tell but yeah I mean I feel good about it um but I've also been watching this cool show and it's not for everybody uh it's called Dead Steel it's on you can watch it on Amazon but it's um about a photographer who photographs the dead in Victorian Ireland and I, interestingly enough, I had just read an article a month or so ago about this, that back during that time, people would take pictures of their dead relatives. Loved ones, yeah. Loved ones. And they're not in the coffin. Like, they're sitting up. They're with the dog. They're with <laughs> the rest of the family. They're with the toy, if it's a child, uh, because they didn't, you know, they just didn't have photography like we have it now. And um, so they would they would do that. It, yeah. And so I started, I, I was so fascinated by it. I started watching it one night and the first episode, like he's, he's talking to this woman and fixing her hair and then they show her face and she's clearly dead. And, uh, and it kind of creeped me out and I was like, I can't watch it. I want to watch it, but I can't watch it. <laughs> so a few days will go by and I gird my loins and I get back in there and 
I have just enjoyed it. It's such a good show. It's just so interesting and, and there's a mystery and you know, everything, but it, it's just really so I, good characters and stuff. Yeah. That is awesome. I think I saw a preview for that maybe on Instagram somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I think somebody compared sort of the, uh, like feel of it to mm -hmm. a, like a castle and Beckett type feel I a don't know a little bit a little bit There's... but it's it's the the photographer has a niece and then he has an assistant so it's kind of the three of them mm -hmm. but it is just it's just I mean parts of it are delightful and then parts of it are just creepy as can be but but not I don't know it's it, but it's also very historically accurate yeah. in that yeah that's that's kind of like a work. lot of the pictures that you see of back during that time, probably at least one person in there was dead. I mean, yeah, that's what I read so in this article. Yeah, interesting. it's so crazy. Like their eyes are open. It's just <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but it was, it's good. And so, then I just finished watching another show that I really liked. It was set in the 1870s. I kind of like that time period in Ireland. But I just realized there's only one season. I finished no. the season last night and there's only one season and it was done back in, 2016 so there's not another um, season and I, I hate that I really need to be careful and watch you know <laughs> check that out before I start watching something because I get really invested and so yeah yeah and that's how our readers feel like if we yeah. leave them hanging like if yeah. we've written two books of the trilogy yeah they're like exactly. where's the rest exactly so um, what's going on with you uh well I haven't been I have no entertainment to talk about this week <laughs> but um I'm enjoying the beautiful weather we're having like four or five days of no humidity in Houston. It is amazing. So I'm not even going to write today. I'm going to go out and go for a walk because no. it just, it won't be like this again for like no. four months. Funny story. Yesterday, our air conditioner, you know, it was running and it cut off, but it kept blowing. And my husband was so worried that because we just had this air conditioner put in. <laughs> And so worried that something had happened and he looked it up and he came into my office and he said, uh, funny thing that's built into the system, but it only happens on non-humid days. So we've never had that. We've never, we were like, it. what is that? We don't know what that is. <laughs> not here in Houston. We don't. So. Not in June. Uh, that's true. That's funny. Yeah. So enjoying that, the nice weather and, um, I was also one just kind of informative thing. I was going to mention this new uh, company, this new thing is launched called authors AI and mm -hmm. I've been part of it. And I got to see kind of the, got to try it out and you can run a manuscript through and it gives you a report mm -hmm. and it, it's really cool. It's got uh, things like about pacing word choice. Um, but um I'll put a link in the notes if anybody wants to check yeah. out. So that's Alexandra Torrey. She's on the executive committee of that. And we had her on the podcast and we're going to have her back hopefully to talk about this. Yeah. So, so it might be something like if you can't afford a developmental editor, it might be something you could use, you know, or if you have a lot of books and you write really quickly, which Jamie and I don't have this problem, mm -hmm. but you know, if you want to run a whole bunch of them through and kind of see how they're going, then, you know, you can use it for that. So it's yeah. just really interesting new technology. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. And I think we should get onto the show to, with Pamela because like I said, lots of information. Oh, <laughs> All right, here we go. All right. 
So today we have Pamela Fagan Hutchins with us. Pamela is a wannabe barrel racer, afraid of going fast, an eater of ribeye, a rescuer of dogs, a fangirl podcaster, and an author of USA Today bestselling mysteries. Welcome. Uh, well, uh, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, we're so glad you're here. So why don't we get started and you tell us what genres you write and how did you get into writing? Well, I write mostly mystery, but really um, in the thriller suspense mystery space, I move around with a romantic element. And I like to think somewhat of a supernatural element. I like to include things that are either religious or that are ghostly um, that bring in the things that we believe in that we can't see. And and so in other words, I'm multi-genre, all packaged into each book, which I think is ultimately why I chose an indie path because I didn't neatly fit in anyone's space on a bookshelf. Mm -hmm. Was that what you asked me? I've already forgot. Yes, yes. And how so did you get into writing? <laughs> oh, yeah, that other part. How yeah. did I get into writing? Um, I've kind of always been a, a writer um, in secret. My third grade teacher told my parents I'd be a novelist when I grew up. And I said, yuck, I don't want to write books. I want to read them. Um, but she was right. And um, I've since gone back and had dinner with her and given her a stack of books and said, thank you for planting the mm -hmm. seed. But mm -hmm. it just stuck. I, it just always was how I expressed myself was through the written word. And, and I had a college boyfriend who told me that I made up drama, that I was overly dramatic. So I kind of <laughs> practiced for a long time. I, I have some drama. Time or two <laughs> that is great. Well, what was your first big success? I got really lucky as an indie writer, and my first book, uh, my first novel, Saving Grace, right out of the gate, like in the first week, I'd made every cent that I put into it, and I was thinking, wow, this may be, you know, like really easy, dare I say easy. <laughs> of course, that all fell apart, you know, practically overnight, but for the first giddy few months, I thought it was going to be just, you know, a thrill ride. Yeah, so when was that? That was in November of 2012. Okay. Okay. Uh, what do you wish you'd known about writing in craft? You know, I think the thing that now sitting here eight years later that would have saved me the most heartache as a writer, a series writer of mm -hmm. suspense, thriller, mystery was if I'd really known how important it was not to just look at what I wrote as one book at a time, but to look at character arcs over series and plan out series before I started writing because I really at times have had to back myself into connecting my series. And I think it's worked, but it's been a lot of work. Yeah, that is hard. And I wish I'd done the same thing. Um, yeah, that's why I, I wrote a short little book on how to write a series now that I've kind of figured it out in my brain because I didn't know that either. And there's not a lot out there about writing a series. There's a lot about how to write a good single standalone book. So. Um, Tell us a little bit more about how you've, do you plan now your complete series? I do. I do. And I, for a long time, I was writing um, single point of view um, mysteries with female protagonists. And I liked to do 
trilogies because I really looked at it as a, a three act play, if you will. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a um, character arc that extended over three books. I have started doing some multi point of view and extending that longer. You know, you can, you can just, it's so much easier to extend a series longer with multiple points of view. God bless Janet Ivanovich and, um, <laughs> and um, Sue Grafton, but it's hard to, to stay fresh for single point of view, especially first person for that many books. And mm-hmm. I have also just finished outlining a um, a ten book series, and I'm almost through with the first one. That's it's still romantic mystery, but it's almost romantic suspense in that it's a male female alternating point of view. Mm-hmm. So as I've gone along, I've I like to think I've gotten smarter and smarter about planning ahead. And even if I don't end up writing these whole series, I think I'll do much better. In the, in the pieces of it I do complete mm-hmm. um, because of the planning. It, with, with books, and I like to think I write character-driven, but with plot-driven genres where you're, you're needing a good, tight plot that propels a book along, I just think planning is, is in a really important part. And when you add into that the series element, for me, it saves me. I mean, it cuts my time. I, I want to say that by now it's cutting my time in half, right? Oh, wow. You really look mm-hmm. at a series. But that's extending over several books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, fascinating. My current, my current book um, was going to be a standalone. Then I decided, no, it's going to be a three-book series. So I've had to kind of – I haven't released it yet. And I'm even, you know, going through my editor's edits and – fixing those, but I'm making notes that I need to go in and plant things in this book to carry on to the next book. And then even the next book before I put this first one out, because um, I don't want to get in that situation that I did. I even, I even started doing, um, I've done this for several books and then I stopped doing it, but I'm going to do it again. I think in the future writing, multiple books at once mm-hmm. before I moved forward to make oh. sure when I had a continuing element mm-hmm. that I really nailed it down because it is a heartbreaker when it's two years later and you're like, I just need to change just one little super important thing. Yes, you know? exactly. And, exactly. Uh, and you know, and it's in the hands of, you know, however many people it's in and you're like, oh, I yeah, you it. can't go back. Once you, you publish it, you, you, I guess you could and just redo the whole thing, you know, republish the book. But so I did the same to go back and fix things in book one. And I was like, oh, this will work so much better if I change the year that it comes, you know, the year it's set. So I think there's some advantages if you can wait out the, if you can be patient and wait out the release. Exactly. And, and so after I experimented with that, I thought, okay, well, that's, that's really a lot of deferred gratification, you know, for everyone involved (laughs) in the process to wait sequentially for you to finish however many books you're going to do. But I started doing, um, I want to say her name is, is it Libby Hawker who does mm-hmm, that? Mm-hmm, pants mm-hmm. or no pants, you know, the yeah, book. Take off and, your pants, yeah. Take yeah. off your pants. And I really started that really rigorous, um, you know, planning and plotting where I'll have, you know, 15 pages of outline and beats and everything. And that has somewhat replaced that for me. It's almost mm-hmm. as good. Not quite, mm-hmm. but it's almost as good. Saves, saves some heartache. That's yeah. great. That's great. What do you wish you knew about marketing? That um, 
I think I wish that I knew that it would require so much courage. I feel like for me that marketing, especially mm. with online advertising, is kind of like walking into a casino and saying, I'm putting it all on number six, you know, or run, you know, whatever it is. That you, I, you can tell I don't gamble. But that's how I feel every day with the, you know, the online advertising. So if you extrapolate that over the whole eight years, I wish that I'd known what I know now about read through and sell through and mm -hmm. how to value a book and a series so that you can know how aggressive you can be in what you spend mm -hmm. and still ensure that there is, if there's ever going to be, a positive return, a net income. Because for me, it's all about how much is the book at the beginning of the series worth to me you know, is it $5? Is it $10? It's $15. How long is your series? And does that equate to a net, net income? And I calculate both every day. Uh, and I spend mm, 30 minutes a day just putting together my numbers every day and then rejiggering, fooling with, messing with my ads every single day. And now I make money. But before, when I didn't really understand those, those two concepts, I was constantly underbidding you know, underbidding what the books were worth. And as a result, you just lose more and more and more because you lose traction. So anyway, right. it's probably a complicated answer. It's a lot of what I teach and talk about in the ads classes and retreats. Mm -hmm. And it's hard mm -hmm. to boil down yeah. without drinking my full cup of coffee into a simple answer. Right. But, no, I agree. I think that, you know, I can afford to lose a little money on my first book because of what, because of my read through. And if you don't know that, Mm -hmm. then you're you turn off ads that are making you money in the long run um or you don't like you said bid enough to even get your ad to turn on or work the way it needs to work so yeah exactly. i think that's really important um what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your career and looking back did the, uh did they turn out to be right or wrong i think at the very beginning before i'd published anything i made an assumption that I was a big loser if I didn't find an agent and, uh, and go the mm -hmm. traditional route and that I would not succeed. And, I, you know, that very quickly for me was dispelled. Of course, it's been like a roller coaster. You know, there are the mm -hmm. lean times and there are the gravy times. Um, mm -hmm. But so much has changed that even the way I felt about myself and the way I felt that others looked at me, I think, has changed dramatically mm -hmm. until, you know, but don't get me wrong. If somebody came along and offered me a, a bajillion dollars for my series, I'd sell it in a heart you know, in a hot minute, um, because that that would be that would be really cool. But as it is, I have learned to find a lot of satisfaction in the journey and in the relationships with peers, and not care as much about what people thought, and and just enjoy the fact that people are reading my books and enjoying my books, mm -hmm. and quit thinking about that whole paradigm that that I bought into um, way back in the beginning. And, and I'll say, I never, I very, I didn't go try to go traditional for very long. My husband um, knew that I was an entrepreneur at heart and said, I'll help you. You go for it. Um, you're going to be really unhappy if somebody else is controlling anything <laughs> in your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried. It doesn't work. I've never, uh, I've never regretted it. It's been hard, but getting past that perception that was in my mind up front mm -hmm may have been the hardest part. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but um, you did a workshop for us at the Northwest Houston RWA and you, listening to you kind of was the final nail in the coffin for me of 
even thinking about going traditional. I had heard uh, and spoken with Roxanne St. Clair, who was killing it. Yeah, killing but it. But also and, had been traditional. Yes, and saying, don't go traditional. And I was like, okay, but that's easy kind of for her to say. It, it wasn't until after I heard you that I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is the route. And I've never even tried. Well, no, I've really never tried traditional. So, um, And you've killed it. I mean, yeah. and, and have you been happy with it? Yes, very happy. I'm sort of the same way. If somebody tried to tell me what to do, I would, uh, it would not be good. It was, <laughs> because on the outside, I'm very compliant, but on the inside, I'm standing up the entire time. Somebody tells me to sit down. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 thank you for that because it was, it was very eye opening, and, uh, I just, yeah, that was, that was kind of the final thing I needed to push me over. So. Okay. So, you know, I'll tell you that I loved meeting you. I remember you vividly because you're, you, you know, I hadn't read a word you'd written, but your personality just sparkled oh. in, your, in your confidence. And I, and then I read your first novel and I was just so pleased. I was just like, oh, oh she's going to do so well. It's oh, just, that's great. Well, thank it was you. so funny. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was fun. And, and, and I don't think that book would have been, I don't think that book would have sold because it's just not what traditional publishers are looking for. So, so, you know, but it did well for me. So that's really great. Um, so have you uh, ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? You know, I look at the whole package of what's happened with a lot of mistakes in it. And there's, I don't know if I'd change anything because it all led to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, from day one, there was mistakes. In the very beginning, you know, when I said that first week of, that first giddy week, month of having my first novel out, and it was like money hand over fist. It was, you know, mid-early um, Amazon Kindle days, and I was in KDP Select, but I had my books that hadn't got, I, I had put it wide, and then I decided to go pick KDP Select, and I learned that with aggregators, it's really hard to make changes. Pull your books down, make price changes, etc. You know, I'm a neophyte. I didn't know that. And I got the takedown and we're going to, you know, take your children away from you and, and all the things that Amazon sends you when you violated their terms of service without knowing it or meaning to. And I took them seriously. I didn't realize that was a shot across the bow. I was like, oh, God, I have to get out of KDP Select because I can't get these other people to take it down. Mm-hmm. All that money I was making disappeared overnight. I went mm-hmm. from making all this money to nothing because I didn't understand how tough it was timing and things to deal with ag- aggregators and, and aggregators have their place and I think they're great, but you just really have to know how to uh, work with them if you're going to be working promotions and price promotions and things where you have to make rapid changes. And it really messed me up. It really cost me a lot of money. <laughs> right, right. And tell us what an aggregator is for, for our listeners who aren't familiar so, with that term. An aggregator is a service that takes your ebook and or audio aggregators as well or even now they're starting to get into print but they take your book and instead of you having to manage it across multiple retail sites it pushes it out there for you so that you can just manage the asset in one place the price the description the metadata the cover etc all in one place and if you're 
uh, you know, if you're trying to publish wide across, say, seven different platforms, that can save you so much time, especially as you add additional books. If you have 18 books across seven platforms and you're trying to, to um, make real-time changes, which, by the way, I think is one of the huge benefits is being an indie author. Mm-hmm. If I want to change my metadata or if I want to add something to the back of my book, I don't wait uh, three years for the next release to do that. I do that that day. Well, an aggregator makes that really feasible for especially a wide distributed author. But you do have the lag time between when you make a change, when the aggregator sends it to the retail sites, when they process those changes, and that varies across different platforms. And so you just have to learn to really manage that. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Well, what about the opposite? Have you ever had something that you thought was just an amazing, wonderful idea, and then you tried and it turned out not be so great? Um, uh, just about that again, I just look at it and I think every day, um, (laughs) but, um, you know, I thought that I would do translations of my books because I thought, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm so lucky they're doing so well in in English versions. Um, and it'd be so cheap to, you know, to, um, go say to Babel Cube or how do you say that? Babel Cube? Babel Sounds Cube. good. Babel Cube, I yeah. think, yeah. Um, so Babel Cube, and um, I'll do, uh, you know, some royalty split deals, and I'll work with some translators. Not only is that really challenging because the quality is difficult to, con- you know, to vet because um, you don't speak the language, uh, but I haven't made cent one off those mm-hmm. deals. I mean, I, I've made a few cents, but, you mm-hmm. know, it wasn't worth the time, and yet I went – Back in the days when there were a few companies that were trying to give Amazon a run for their money with uh, um, with Kindle Unlimited, uh, a, a company went into it called Palladium. They're a Danish company, and they were doing a all you can eat, all you can read service. Mm-hmm. So I put my books in, and apparently they did well there. And so when they closed down the um, the um, service, they said, "Well, we publish women's fiction." in Denmark, can we translate your book and will you let us publish it there? And I've been trying to work with international publishers for a long time mm-hmm. and they translate it to Danish and I make, I make decent money off of, uh, of my Danish translations. So I'm not saying translations for an indie can't work, but right. they didn't work for me with Babel Cube. And, um, and, and you have some legal risks there as well, because there are countries where if you let a translator translate their book, your book, they own the copyright. So you have so, you know, some, um, some risks yes. as well. As Is, a, isn't a Germany one of those? Yeah, that's what I think. And yeah, I say I think that. So too. Or it was, it was that way, like in 2016. I think. And they're supposed to be a great market. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't sell much there, but mm-hmm. there's supposed to be a great market, but the risk associated with it to me just made me back away from the whole mm-hmm. thing and say, okay, one of these days when I'm, I'm picked out of obscurity and given $10 million for my body of work, they could do that for me. Right. Right. That's going to happen. You know, you're not the only one. <laughs> you are not the only one I've heard that we've heard say that on the show or that we've heard say that, you know, on other podcasts that they really thought that that would be the thing. And they mm-hmm. were either too far, they were just a little ahead of the curve or too far behind the curve. And then the whole mm-hmm. issue of, you know, not speaking the language and not knowing how to market because you don't see, speak the language. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a big deal. Just, yeah. 
Yeah. Do you have the right cover for that geographic market? Right. You know, uh-huh. like for instance, my Danish publishers just like they would with a, I'm going to put big air quotes around my head mm-hmm. because I'm not traditionally published with a real author, gave mm-hmm. me a new cover over there in Denmark and things like that. And, and, and did things that made it sell well to that in that culture. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a lot of work for an indie. It is. And it's I'm, not always cost effective. I mean, it's ROI. I mean, a lot of what I do is about the ROI and it's mm-hmm. some things sound really fun. Like I, I got an email and asked, they want to, it's a reputable company. They do these boxes and they wanted 200 books. Um, and they paid, they would pay me for them, but you know, it was not very, it wasn't a whole lot, but it w- I would still make a little bit of money, but then I have to ship them. So when I look at the whole thing, yes, it is exposure, but the ROI isn't there for me. And at this point in time, I got to look at my bottom line because it's not worth, you know, I mean, just because something is fun and kind of cool and flattering doesn't mean it's something you should do. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when you think about what's really hard for people to embrace writers that are new Mm -hmm. to indie publishing, it's this exact conversation we're talking about, which Mm -hmm. is, Half your time is the business of writing. Half your mm-hmm. time is writing. And that business of writing is just like another business would be. It's all about the ROI. Mm-hmm. How you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you say yes to, what you say no to. Is is it driving net income and how much? Yeah. yeah. And the wisdom is being able to figure out when it's <laughs> worth it and when it's not. And that's why we're also. Because you don't have a crystal ball to know ahead of time. It gets back to that, put it all on red, you know, number six or whatever. I know. Yeah, the roulette wheel spinning. Yeah, it feels like that a lot. Okay, well, in the email that you sent us, you said that you had had a game-changing year. And we were talking earlier about how things had changed for you. So um, talk to us a little bit about what you've done recently to – win at the casino. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So for the last couple of years, um, I've been doing really well. And in 2015, 16, I decided that I needed to write more. I'd bring employees in and I would turn more and more of what I did over to other people. I had three employees and, um, and I did. And, and it was, it was nice. I had a more balanced life, but more and more things were getting away from me and my ROI was slipping. And in fact, I was going negative some years. It was a nice tax write-off against my husband's income, but that's not what I was looking for. (laughs) And so last year, my husband and I decided that because we want him to retire, that I could no longer run negative, but that we would take one last year where we put it all on the table and tried everything else I could think of that might make it work in our current paradigm. And so I really spent a lot of money on online ads with people that did them for me. It was a dismal failure. And so at the end of this year, I said, okay, this is hard, but everybody's fired. And I'm going to take it all back, all of it. And I have, you know, 30 books now between fiction and nonfiction and box sets and et cetera. So how am I going to manage that? Well, I'm going to, and I said, I'm going to learn how to do these ads and I'm going to do them better than anybody in the world. Damn it. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And at the same time, I published a book that I hadn't planned to write totally. I'd I'd written two novels that were almost done. I had a third that was partway done because I was having a little bit of multiple author personality disorder last summer (laughs) and I couldn't decide when I wanted to write. But then my dad got sick and they were, he was given three months to live. And I, and I, just didn't know what to do with that emotion. And I said, well, I want to write a book 
with my dad as the hero that is a book that he would want to read. Mm. Well, what does he like to read? And, and how can I weave all of his magical stories about being a doctor in Wyoming in the 1970s? Um, I mean, they're hilarious. Like, you know, the, the night he gets called in because the vet's out of town and they call him in for a broken leg and he goes into x-ray and they're like, no, out in the parking lot. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> and he goes out and it's a, a horse in a trailer that, you know, proceeds <laughs> to try to kill him. But, you know, all those wonderful stories and, and build it into some kind of mystery thriller suspense that's family friendly. And I've been writing single protagonist, um, romantic mysteries, female, um, you know, very character driven. And so I wrote this book and thought I'm not even going to publish it because it's going to be inside family jokes. The dang thing has just killed it. I mean, it's just oh, killed it. Awesome. And I've now written, I'm on the fourth one now. And, and, um, and my dad, magically, has now been given three years. So, yeah. you know, yeah, we've wonderful. moved. It feels like this blessing from him. So we had things that came together. We had a new set of readers. We had learning to do ads in a way that have just blown me away. It's like, oh my gosh, you really can make money at these things. You know, I, I used to read what people said about making money with ads and think, you know, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> expletive, expletive, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. And because I was making nothing and paying a lot for people to do them for me. And I'm killing it on ads and this book. And, you know, it may or may never not come to anything, but I had an, an agent that's picked me up and is trying to sell everything I've ever written because of reading that book about my dad and that may never come to anything or it may bear fruit. He wants to sell dramatic rights. He wants to, he says I'm his retirement client, you know, that, that he (laughs) wants to retire on the money he makes off of me. Now that may never happen, but it wouldn't even be a discussion if I hadn't changed everything. Cause it wasn't just the book was learning to do ads and it was the ad that reached him. And so ads to me, not only sell books, build readership, create subscribers, um, create opportunities, help you forge new relationships. They increase your Facebook likes. There's all these different things that they do that are not just uh, dollars and cents on your bottom line, but add to the overall um, bottom line in ways that are maybe not measurable on that day. So it was a confluence of things. The last thing I did was I gutted my newsletter. I had nearly 20,000 subscribers, but I was, had terrible open rates and I had um, really, really terrible sales on the days I would release newsletters with new releases. Mm-hmm. And I basically said, y'all deadbeats are out of here. You know, I cut mm-hmm. that thing down by 6,000 people the first, on the first cut <laughs> and said, okay, I'm going to completely redo my onboarding sequence. I'm going to um, change the way that I do newsletters. And then I did one last change. And that is, I said, who here wants to be an advanced reader for me? And I sent it to all 13,000 of them, said, I'm going to take every one of you that say, yes, you're going to get every book I write free from here on out on your mark, get set, go. Mm-hmm. And I turned it off after like three days <laughs> because I had nearly a thousand people. And I was like, oh, shit, what have I done? Overwhelmed. I'll never make another dollar because now I'm giving away a thousand books every time I write one to people that weren't buying five when I'd send yes. the newsletter. So this is what happened. Not only did I get a really engaged review team, and I keep cutting that list too. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. you didn't post a review. You're out of here. So it's down mm-hmm. to... I want to say 500 now, but they're engaged. They leave reviews. 
And when I have, and I also tell them, go read it in Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> don't, if you've got Kindle Unlimited, please don't use this link. Yeah. Um, and, um, and they have been super about that. You know, I didn't know that mattered to you. And, oh, wow, I'll do that for you. And, and not only that, when I release the book, I say, okay, for those of you that just want to do something nice, if you want to buy it, here's the link. You're welcome to, but you never have to pay for it. I sell books to that group. They go back and buy it and they then become evangelists. So I've gone from having a group of 20 advanced readers to a group of 500 advanced readers. And that's been super. And then my smaller email list is now ROI positive. You know, now I, I have a less that I spend giving to mailer light each month on my newsletter and I am selling books to them and they open it and they buy them. And so, you know, as I track it, that's one of, again, you sh my spreadsheets are overwhelming. On one of my spreadsheets, it's tracking, you know, what am I spending and what am I making on my newsletter? And I am positive ROI and I know that I am. Plus you have that impact on your rankings by actually getting to move people to do things on the specific day that you release the newsletter and tell them the day you want to see the sales hit. So it's just been this package that is snowballed at the beginning of the year. I was like, you know, if I could go from losing money to making $40,000 this year, I'd be happy. Mm -hmm. Well, right now I'm tracking toward 150 and no, that's net income based on and, you know, just annualizing my average. And mm -hmm. there's no reason to think I'm not going to hit the numbers. It's growing every day. And that's just a huge game changer. That's I feel like amazing. that's like a little mini masterclass right there. There's just so much good <laughs> information. In that. So people yeah. will be rewinding to listen to this section. I know that. <laughs> yeah. I have about a, because of my onboarding sequence, I have about 200 people on my arc. Uh, my advanced reader team. And I've heard people say, well, I don't, those are my re good readers. I don't want to give books away. But if you look, I have like the last book I released before the book, before the ebook came out, I had 50 reviews already on my, I mean, that is huge. That makes a giant difference. If, um, if somebody said, would you pay 500 bucks to, to have 50 reviews on the day your ebook published. And there was a way to do that legitimately. We would all say, heck yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the value of that, getting that for free is huge. And uh, yay you, that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Well, I just think that it's important because then the thing about reviews, because it's weird, it's like one begets another begets another. Like once you get a certain number, then they just start rolling. And I don't, other than my advanced review team, I don't do anything for reviews, but mm -hmm. the book one has 699 reviews. So if anybody wants to review book one, go ahead. So I'd like to hit 700, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so but I have a quick question about the ads. Yeah. I was going to ask Ed. Yeah, I know. Too, yeah. But we have some follow-ups apparently <laughs> with this question. So tell us, like, I know people will want to know like what type of ads you do. Um, but above Facebook, uh, Amazon, you know, how you kind of sort out your time and like how much time do you spend working on ads compared to writing, things like that? Well, I do make sure that every day, no matter what, that when I finish eating lunch, that that's my writing time for the rest mm -hmm. of the day. So that's kind of sacred. 
desperate. I don't write well in the morning. So this works. I mean, I found that even when I had time to write in the mornings, I wasn't doing it. So mm-hmm. the only thing is I'm getting fat because I should be exercising in the morning. <laughs> but um, so in the mornings, I do the business of writing, whether that's my podcast or, or, you know, whatever it is, there's a bazillion things. I spend first about 30 minutes gathering my numbers. I have a big tracking sheet. And um, if anybody that wants it, I I make that public. Um, It's case sensitive, but it's uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash capital P-F-H capital T. And then all the rest is lowercase. It's the word tracker. So it's R-A-C-K-E-R. So if you want to look and see how I track things, it's P-F-H tracker with PFHT capitalized on the end of bit.ly. Um, and so I spent about 30 minutes gathering numbers because I believe that good decisions are driven by good data. And then I look at how my ads are performing. Now, what ads do I use? I use everything, but I use them fit for purpose. Um, BookBub I tend to use uh, when I'm doing a price promotion. And I use it in support of doing um, promotions with the, um, online promoters that send the announcements of deals to their subscriber lists. And I only work with the ones that do it by genre because I want to make sure that they're good quality, um, sales and not worthless downloads. But, um, I also have learned that I can use BookBub for full price books. I've got an ongoing BookBub ad that runs every single day for an ebook that's $4.99 and returns a positive ROI every single day without fail. I have never found another that I do that has consistently done that, but playing around with it and on the back end of a promotion, I found one that worked. And so I do it. In fact, it is my most profitable ad, but there's a, a limit to what I can spend. You know, it's the size mm-hmm. of the readers of that particular author that I'm promoting toward. So that's what I use BookBub for primarily. I did also experiment with using it to support audiobook sales for a chirp deal. Chirp is um, mm-hmm. um, find a way and BookBub's kind of collaboration where book it's BookBub's and they promote to it. You get deals with them, um, but you you get into it through find a way. And um, I couldn't tell whether there was any ROI there. I couldn't figure out how to track it. And I'm, I don't believe in, in blindly spending money, so I turned it off. What do I use Amazon for? I use Amazon for my daily ongoing. I want to stimulate Kindle Unlimited reads, and I want to stimulate sales on Amazon. They're everybody's biggest piece of their, of their single biggest piece of their pie. And I just don't believe that there's anything organic happening on Amazon anymore, that you have to do something to make the books move there, whether it's your promotions and your you know, price discounts and, and things that you're also driving with BookBub and online promoters, or whether it's just day-to-day. So I have ads running for full-price books and series all the time. I run category ads. I run ASIN ads. I run keyword ads. Um, I run automatic ads. Uh, you know, every kind that can be run in the product category, I do. I don't do lock screen ads. I've never been able to make money with those. So full price books and discount books. Um, then over on Facebook, uh, I do something maybe different than a lot of, than I would recommend for a lot of people up front. You definitely can fi- find that on Facebook, you can advertise discount and free books and do pretty well if you can target your interests right and get a good mm-hmm. creative image and good copy. Um, I think it's really important to remember that it all comes down to testing, testing every element of that to see what works, not what you think works, but what the clickers, the people mm-hmm. out that are seeing it um, think works. Um, but you know, for a while I was having trouble translating that into ongoing full price book ads. 
And if I don't have ongoing full price book ads, I would not be making the money that, that I am. So, you know, I really experimented with it and discovered which of my books worked, which ads worked and which books worked that consistently returned a positive ROI. And the reason I like Facebook for full price books is because it's the easiest of the three platforms to scale, meaning I can increase my spend and the amount of books that I sell is roughly commensurate with the same return on investment that I was getting at a lower spend. I have a lot of trouble getting Amazon to spend more money. And if they do, my sales fall apart. BookBub, you're limited again by the size of the audience, the size of the readers for whoever you're targeting. And so the scaling there is really, really tough, really poor. But on Facebook, you can scale the hell out of that sucker. And the bottom doesn't usually fall out until you've exhausted your creative and your copy with that audience. And even then, you've got things you can do to try to expand that audience or to do a lookalike or things that can potentially um, explode the size again and, and let you try to replicate that success. So every single day, you don't, I mean, people get really scared when I tell them how much I spend on ads. Um, I probably spend four to $500 a day on ads, but I return that such that I'm making, I think my, right now, my... Um, Return on investment for the year, um, net income wise, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Year to date, it's 89%. So, you know, you spend $500, you return 89%. I'd like it to be higher, but it's still pretty dang good. It supports yeah. making money. That means you have to have money to put in the pipeline right in the beginning, but $5 is enough. Spend $5, wait till you return that money, and then spend $10, and then spend $15, et cetera. It grows. I didn't spend $500 at first, I spent $25. And at the end of the day, you know, you have to also be thinking about you want to build to where you've got a positive daily return and yet are investing enough in the pipeline that your future return continues to grow. Because if the numbers are telling you that you're going to make money three months from now and you're not able to invest in that, that's a heartbreaking thing, right? When you're like, oh, I've got great ROI, but I don't have the cash to invest. Mm -hmm. So you just have to keep building toward it. It's an advanced topic. And as you could tell, I could go on all day. And I do. I do <laughs> retreats and we talk nothing but ads for days. But, um, but I, use, I use some fit for purpose, but I use all three every day. Very good. Yeah. I'm with you. BookBub, I've said this more than once, that I've gotten it to work a few times. I have one author that really does work well for me. But for the most part, I run those when I'm too lazy to go out in the front yard and light a bunch of money on fire. Because... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it just seems to not work. But but the one author that I do have, she works great. And yeah. and even with full price books, she works yeah. great because she's a Kindle and she's a KU author. And so, you know, I get a lot of KU downloads from when I run books to her. But yeah, it, it's just I, I wish I could find a KU author that worked for me to yeah. use. Uh, the one I have is a wide author, and so it doesn't drive reads, and that kills yeah. me. It's a positive ROI, but it doesn't necessarily yeah. drive the reads yeah well um and then facebook yeah for me facebook's game changer it was just a game changer for me you know what's funny about facebook is i find that because people see the ads they think all i do is sit around on facebook because yeah. they see these ads and they're like you're just on there all the time I'm like yeah, you know yeah my money is yes. <laughs> you're virtually present i'm virtually <laughs> present well tell us about your writing retreats 
Sure. Um, so they used to be live, but I don't know that we'll ever go back to live. I have these great houses, one in Texas between Houston and Austin. And I started them there because I moved away from Houston and I used to be president of the Houston Writers Guild and have critique groups in my house several nights a week. And I thought, well, I want to stay plugged into the community and I want to continue to have people learn from what I do wrong so that I don't re- repeat my mistakes through exponentially through a bunch of other people. Um, and they were a success. And so I thought, okay, I'll start having them in Wyoming when I'm here too, because that house is even cooler. And that was really cool. And then COVID came along. Mm-hmm. So what I found is most popular is two different retreats that I do. And one of them, I, ha- I actually have one spot left in my June 24th through 26th virtual retreat that's on, um, it's basically on advertising. It's, it's mm-hmm. uh, advanced promoting and advertising. Um, I get people a lot of materials after they sign up ahead of time so they can build enough base by reading ahead that, that they're ready for it when they um, get to me. Three days goes a lot faster than you think it will on topics this complex. But I try to make it affordable, $600 um, for the three days. And we just go full tilt into advertising book bub and into um, Amazon ads. But in doing so, we look at all the things that I think you have to have in place to make those successful, like having a really good subscriber uh, opt-in list for your newsletters and a good onboarding sequence mm-hmm. and a really good gris- grasp on um, using affiliate links and other things that you can do to help you measure data um, so that you can tell what the ROI is on your ads. It's, there's math. There's math involved. I'm sorry. Um, and then we finished the workshop on the last day. We synthesize, you know, those pieces, talk about the online promoters, how to build particular types of campaigns single book discounts, books that are free, um, box set promotions, you know, how to make a bestseller run, you know, things, things like that. And so Mm -hmm. how do you synthesize all the different pieces and, you know, what does that cost you? How do you decide what to spend? Um, how do you stack a promotion and things like that? So it's, it's for people that are ready to talk about, okay, I'm day one, I've got my five bucks. How do I spend it? to, you know, I want to get, you know, tons better than you, Pamela, and I, I want to spend whatever, mm. whatever capital investment it takes to continue to return a really good um, return on your investment. And we virtually, I keep it small because, you know, it's too much on these screens if you've got too many people. So I limit it to five participants. So mm-hmm. five people in me and, um, and, you know, their brains explode over three days and, and in a good way. Um, <laughs> it's great for me. I always learn something new and, yeah. and I come out really super fired up. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So do you do any craft retreats or is it all on marketing? I do. I do. Um, I do two kinds of craft, craft retreats. I do one that's just finish that book, right? It's for people that are, I get a lot of people that are not first time novelists, but they're stuck and they just want that injection. Um, and we, we, um, read from each other's work and we do things to help ensure that what we're writing is good and try to, you know, model the process of of how do you get from, um, once upon a time to the end with a good book or the best book that you can. And we talk about different ways to improve it as you go. And I critique 50 pages and then sit down with them during the retreat virtually now and work on that. And then I do a, um, crime fiction where we talk about how to write crime fiction. So that's awesome. 
it's it's but, fun. Yeah. And it keeps me it keeps me sharp. If I do one of those every so often, I stay sharp. And if I don't, I get all introverted and I turtle and pull my head in and <laughs> you know and hide and and it's super good for me. Um, and I find the things that I do to network with other authors return to me in ways, again, like I was mentioning earlier about, um, you know, the whole idea of advertising and how so much of what I get from it is above and beyond that day's bottom line. It's the same thing with retreats. Those relationships become later people that tell me when I'm on their podcast years later, I saw you in a workshop and, you know, I did this because, you know, you were the nail in my coffin with traditional publishing (laughs) those moments and become people that blurb your books or that you do um, box sets with, or, you know, all kinds of fabulous things. And Mm -hmm. that's harder and harder to get as we become more dispersed and remote from each other. Yeah, it is. Well, tell us about a little bit about your podcast because you specifically podcast for readers. I do. I podcast for readers and I try to focus in on books that have the kind of female characters I want to read that Mm -hmm. are not cardboard cutout characters. Now, I have a personal bent towards suspense thriller mystery so I'd say that more often than not that it is those authors but I have a lot of good women's fiction literary fiction um I do a little fantasy I do I try to squeeze in genres that I don't read normally mm-hmm. um and that's been so cool like when I first started doing this I do it with a network I do it with authors on the air global radio network Pam Stack is the producer she said we'll get you anybody you want on your show, show except Janet Ivanovich she doesn't she doesn't need to do shows. I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. And, um, and at first I was letting her do my inviting, but then I thought I'm just going to write to some of these authors, which mm-hmm. some of them it's hard to get a hold of, but I'm going to write to some of them and nobody ever says no. So, you know, my favorite author ever is Craig Johnson. Little, little cute story about Craig Johnson. He's the Longmire guy, right? The mm-hmm. Netflix mm-hmm. Longmire series. He lives about 30 miles from me here. And when we first bought this house, we live in an old B&B here in Wyoming. And um, we actually do run it in the summers as an Airbnb. I do not cook breakfast for people, but we fill the, the whole um, the upper three stories with people. And um, the owners, when they sold it to us, when they found out I was a mystery writer, said, well, Craig Johnson and his wife stayed here when they were property hunting, when they first moved to the area low so many years ago and Rena Mae Brown stayed here and they started naming all these mystery writers. I was like, honey, I need that house. That's (laughs) That's good mystery vibes. You know, I contacted Craig Johnson. He doesn't know me at all and say, you know, you want to do a show? And he says, sure. Can we do it in person? Said, yeah, that'd be super awesome, Craig. (laughs) So um, we went to um, a a location that appears in his books, the Occidental Bar in Buffalo, Wyoming, and sat down at 10 in the morning on a Friday, which, by the way, is a drinking hour in Wyoming. So there were people in there and uh, did a video cast show live in the bar. And people were watching the show on their phones and their laptops as they watched their show while we did it. And it's things like that that you can't Mm. put a value on. Pick up the phone and call... um, I've not pick up the phone, pick up my uh, fingers, find Robert Dagoni on the internet and say, Hey, Bob, we were once on a panel together, but didn't meet, but I'm sure you remember me. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, cool. He came on the show and he blurbed my next book, you know, and it yeah. just cool things like that. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm a fangirl. These are people I read. So mm-hmm. when I get them on the show and I'm happy and excited to talk about them, or when I ask my readers, who do you want me to have on? And they go, Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> and I reach out to Sarah and say, hey, you don't know me, but my readers do. So yeah. put me on my show. Yeah. It's so much fun. It is. That's so it's cool. Awesome. That's really cool. But it's also a lot of work. And every single yes. week I say, I'm done with this podcasting. I'm done with it. I haven't quit yes. I'm nearly to 100 shows. Maybe after 100, I'll quit. Well, you need a podcast wife like I have in Sarah <laughs> because she's she saying that this morning. I think she I'm does, done with this. <laughs> she does a lot, and uh, and I try, that. but I'm not very good at it. She's Jamie's, like Jamie's our people person, and I am the like <laughs> technical detail person. <laughs> we do, Sarah. Sarah, will you cheat on Jamie and be yeah. my? <laughs> no, I'm maxed out. <laughs> So you have to tell people the name of your podcast, though, because I don't sure. think we mentioned it. Uh, Wine, Women, and Writing, although occasionally I cheat on my podcast, and I'll have a uh, writer that writes male protagonist, and I'll call it Mescal Men and Mystery then. Uh, there but, we go. Yeah. Uh, that's the name of it, and you can find it through my website. I, if you just click on the podcast and the menu in my website, it'll give you the upcoming shows. And I've got some embedded video and audio there so that you can go and find all of them. And, um, and if you're trying to pitch, if you're an author and you're thinking, I'd like to pitch to be on that show, mm-hmm. there are instructions. There's a click-through link to pitch. Um, but I only do two a month and you do the math. Um, mm-hmm. I say I have to say no to most people. But um, but I love to hear from people. I love to. That's and if awesome. I'm not able to get them on, then maybe I can, um, you know, put them on in the future or, or help mm-hmm. them in some other way. Mm-hmm. That's great. So tell us what you think you've done to set yourself up for success. I think that I, number one, I was already an entrepreneur before I went into indie publishing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I I was never scared of the business side of it. Mm -hmm. And you really have to be ROI focused. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, realistic and looking at ROI and maybe saying, you know, I've got a period of investment. How long is my period of investment where, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to capitally invest and may not yet be showing a positive ROI, even, even six months out from now. Um, and then I have a lot of support on my husband who anyone that follows me on social media wants to vomit every time I mention his name because we really are a good team and I really do adore him. And he is so, so, so integral to my success. He's my storyboard partner and he has never once said no, even when I had a year where I lost $39,000 and that's in cash folks, that's in cash. And um, so he's super. And then the last piece is that I believe that while writing is an art, that it is also a practice and a skill that you can learn to speed up Mm -hmm. and that you have to be able to not navel gaze. You have to be able to crank out words and you have to get to a point where you say, it's okay for me to write the most hideous first draft ever. It will become a good book if I just write it down and have that confidence and that discipline to crank it out. To me, that does not fly in the face of artistic endeavors that is about the practice and the skill that you marry with the artistic endeavors and whatever your best speed is Mm -hmm. pursue that best speed because the quicker that you get a book out the better your ROI is going to be right because you're investing your time and so I learned to write quickly at the beginning that was one book every five years and then 
the next one took two and the next one took one. And then it was like eight months, six months. And now I devote about four months to each book in Mm -hmm. the process. So last year, last year I wrote four novels. So I guess that's three, but I don't want to do that. (laughs) That was really, that hurt. Um, I had a purpose. I was scared that my dad was going to die before I could finish these three books that I wanted to put in his hands. But um, this year I'm shooting for four months. Very turn around on each. But I think that that's really super important. Um, and with all those pieces in place, then I was able to pick up different things like learning to capitalize on mailing lists and advertising and mm-hmm. things like that. But without those elements, those things would not be as profitable for me. Right. Right. Yeah. Very good. Very yeah. good. Need a good backlist to uh, do some of the strategies that you're doing. So absolutely. Advertising mm-hmm. when you have one book is you said it, Jamie, it's like going out in the front yard and saying, I'm going to light this pile of money on fire because I don't have time to go on and do my ads today. Mm -hmm. You know, with one book, it can be super hard to return um, any money. But when you've got a series, you or or if you have a backlist of books that are compatible, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the the same readers will like, you can start to make some money. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's great. It's been wonderful. Thank you for sharing so much with us. Oh, it's been really appreciated. Super, super fun to talk to you guys. But what I want to know is, do I talk more than any guest you've ever had, or am I just in the top three? You're just top three. <laughs> <laughs> but we love it. It's been good information. And it's it, been and it, awesome. <laughs> Tell everybody where they can find out about you and your books. Awesome. I will. Pamela PamelaFaganHutchins.com. That Fagan is spelled F-A-G-A-N, and Hutchins is H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S. Pamela, I hope you got that one right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have a, a pretty robust presence, um, BookBub, Goodreads, um, Amazon. You can find me there. Or God forbid you're on Facebook because you'll see me all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we'll put all of the links, the one for the spreadsheet you were talking, or the, okay, cool. we'll put yeah. all the links. The, um, yeah. the retreat is a particular page through my website. And so, um, yeah, people so will be able to get have, to them. That's okay. awesome. Great. Well, I'll be guys. there. And you can find it all on wishidknownthenforwriters.com. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.